This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. What if I told you that if you could identify exactly the way you want to sound like in your jazz playing and you were able to distill it down to just a few different items and cast away everything else, that you could improve much quicker, especially if you approached it in a goal-oriented fashion? And what if I told you that if you develop the right mindsets and the right frames of mind and understood the way your brain works, you could also increase your potential as a jazz musician. Well, my guest today, Mark Morley Fletcher from Play in the Zone, is going to help us with exactly that. Show us how we can focus on the things that really matter, cast away the things that don't, and use psychology in order to help us improve even quicker. This is a powerhouse episode. You're going to love this. You're going to want to take notes. So get ready. Let's crush this thing. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, he's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. What's up, everybody? Brent here from LearnJazzStandards.com, which is a blog, a podcast, and videos geared towards helping you become a better jazz musician. It is so great to have you on the show. If this is your first time, if you're... Uh, you know, a, a long-time listener. I just appreciate having you. And like I said in the intro, we have a very special guest on the show today. It's Mark Morley Fletcher from PlayInTheZone.com. And he's going to really help us improve our jazz playing today. He's going to really help us get to the next level by tapping into his zone of genius, which includes using his analytics background as well as his love and interest in performance psychology to help us hack the system and improve quicker. I'm really excited for this. Mark is a brilliant person. I've really enjoyed getting to know him and just the great stuff that he does, of course, at playinthezone.com. Mark is also one of our speakers at Learn Jazz Live 2021, which is our virtual summit that we're hosting on February 27th through the 28th, 2021. It's a really exciting virtual summit with 20 plus speakers, 20 plus workshops, all on learning jazz, improving, practicing, music theory, mindset. And Mark is giving a really awesome talk on playing your best every single time, peak performance strategies to banish nerves, consistently deliver solos that make you proud and enjoy performing more. I know you're going to want to check out that workshop after you listen to today's episode. So to sign up for Learn Jazz Live, go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash mark learnjazzstandards.com forward slash mark uh, that also goes to support mark directly when you sign up through that particular link so uh, be sure to do that help mark out but until then uh, mark is about to deliver you some really amazing uh, gold truth nuggets here in just one second so without further ado let's bring on mark All right, welcoming on the show is Mark Morley Fletcher. He's the musician behind Play in the Zone, which uh, through that he's helped 
over a thousand musicians at all levels and across all instruments reach new heights through his performance uh, psychology and effective practice courses. So uh, welcome on the show, Mark. Thanks, Brent. Great to great to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to to have you here. Uh, you're someone who uh, just uh, well, first of all, you're a jazz guitarist. Uh, you're you're a jazz nerd, which is of course uh, welcome here on the podcast. Uh, you're also someone who is really interested in performance psychology and really interested in how do we make breakthroughs in our playing and focus on the things that really matter. And I'd love for uh, just for the audience to get to know you a little better to start with a little bit about your backstory and who you are because I think it's uh, quite interesting how you got into what you're doing. Yeah, so um, I've been been playing jazz for a long time, but until you know a few years ago, it was it was really the thing on the side. So I am a physicist by training, PhD in theoretical physics, and then I spent a long time working for the UK government uh, as an analyst. And this sounds like something completely unconnected, right. and for a long time I thought it was until I realised recently actually that it's really been driving a lot of what I what I do and what I teach and why I'm able to help so many people because when it came down to it what I was doing for the government in the UK was to dig into all the huge amounts of work that people are doing all the activity that's going on what is really making a difference what isn't helping at all and and even the bits where you look at something and you say okay here's something we're not doing but if we just did a little bit of work here that would be way more effective than all this huge amount of money and activity that's that's going on there so I've spent you know, over a decade in work going around big government departments, looking at decisions that people are spending billions of pounds, billions of dollars on, things that might make senior ministers stay in government or you know, get, get kicked out. Uh, and, and I've been looking at, well, what's working? What isn't? How can we tell? And a lot of the time, same in music, same in, in business, same in government people tend to kind of look at what they're doing, what everyone always does, and just assume this is the right way. And it's really interesting when you take the time to just dig into a bit, into it a bit and say, is this really true? Is there something I've missed? You can often find things that you're doing that are taking up a huge amount of your time, not getting you very far, but also little changes that you could make that are quick and easy that can really just give you a huge boost forward. Yeah. It, I, I, one thing that like I always struggle with, tell me if, I don't know if you can relate to this, is having enough time to practice. And I, I, hear, I hear from a lot of my uh, audience as well that that's one thing they struggle with too is like, well, I don't only really have so much time to practice. And the funny thing about that when I think about that is it's, it's, not, it's usually not so much like the problem. I guess the mindset around that is like we need to practice for a very long time in order to get results. Mm-hmm. But I think the problem really is working on the things that that actually matter. Um, so I'm like really intrigued by this. And I, I suppose my question for you is, how do we start, let's just go from the context of someone who doesn't have very much time to practice. How do we start figuring out what those right things are, the data behind all that and distilling down what little changes we can make? Yeah, so I think there's a lot of things I could dig into there and hopefully we'll get to some of them. But thinking about what is the you know, the most important things to practice. I think the really important thing to start with is your goals. What exactly are you trying to achieve? And can you be really clear on that? Because like you say, particularly at the moment, we're we're so lucky to have so many resources out there, all these lessons and things like that on the internet. But the flip side of it is it just gives you too much stuff and it all seems good. 
So the more specific you can get about, well, what am I looking to achieve? That's when it makes it really easy to say, or much easier to say, well, what are the most important things for me to get there? So there's a lot of things in this. What, what sort of context do you want to be playing in? Do you want to be playing completely solo? Do you want to be playing in a small group? Do you want to be playing in, in a big band? What sort of um, you know, types of, of jazz are you playing? Styles might be different. What do you particularly lean towards as, you know, as, as improvising solos? All those different things will mean very different choices for what you want to work on. And just to try and make it a bit more concrete, if I give you an example of some of the things that, that I think about this, um, and, and to say up front, this is hard. It's not, it's not you work this out and then it's really clear, okay, it's only these two things and the other stuff don't matter. It's much right. more which are the really important ones. So for me, when I sat down and thought about this, and this took a while, but it's been so worthwhile, um, the things that really stood out to me is I want to improvise melodic solos, you know, really strong melodic solos. It's really important to me to play them with great time, and I like having interesting rhythms. And those came out as the big three for, for me, and that's helped so much because it really helps me. I'd say two things there. First of all, well, what to work on? but it really gives me the ability to actually stick with the fundamentals a lot more. I mean, I'm sure this is something we'll talk about and I'm, I'm sure you know this, but the more time I've spent around really great jazz musicians and actually great people in any field, the more I'm amazed by how much time they spend working on the basics. Um, and, you know, you think they're all doing the really advanced stuff, but actually when you look at it, a lot of it is just the basics done at a really high level. Yeah. So, so that's the first thing. The second thing that I'd say is, okay, that, that's great. I've got those three things I want to work on. Let's, let's talk about why this is still difficult because that does not mean that I don't want to play with amazing technique, blisteringly fast runs. Yeah, I'd love that. doesn't mean that I don't want to play crazy out there harmonic ideas or that, you know, as a guitarist, I want to be playing cool chord voicings and all these sorts of things. I would absolutely love to be doing all of those. But when I look at it, I realize they're not as important to me as, as those big three ones, the, the melody and the time and the rhythm. So that's made it easier for me, first of all, to see, well, which are the things that are going to help me get to those ones? But tough though it is, it's made it easier for me to say no to all those other cool-looking things I could work on yeah. that aren't getting me towards my most important goals, if that makes sense. That makes total sense. I'm like already just completely loving this because I... I think about the I, I think about these things outside of music for myself a lot too. Like, where am I wasting my time on things? Yeah. And getting clear on those goals seems to be such an important thing. I think that's so interesting that you said that you would love to be playing, you know, great chord voicings and all these other things that are out there. You know, the things that YouTube can teach you, right? Yeah. There's so much stuff out there that you could do that's really cool. Uh, little, you know, shiny little ornaments out there. But that you just you really sat down and thought about what are the specific it almost sounds and tell me if I'm wrong, it sounds like you picked out specific things that you just wanted to sound like. Is that right? Yeah, and there's a lot of way, ways you can go with this. So one thing to say first that I should add is it wasn't like I sat down and in five minutes I knew this. You know, this this has been a period that has taken me a while. I sat down and wrestled with it for a bit, and I had some things that were a bit like that, but I wasn't quite sure. And then over the next week or month or whatever, it's like, oh yeah, I'm I'm definitely in on this. I'm not so sure about that. Maybe I need to change it. So it's it's not something where you can expect to know it straight away, right? Um, but yeah, different ways you can you can go like this. Um, so 
one way is to think, well, what exactly what type of music do I want to play? Um, quick aside on this, because I can't resist telling the story. Um, one thing I found really fascinating, I, I sat in on a, a workshop with Mike Marino, mm-hmm. who a lot of you will know as great jazz guitarist. Yeah. And one of the things he was really big on was experimenting, playing lots of different tunes, but he had a completely different take on it from the way that a lot of people had said, where it's like, oh, you learn all these tunes so you can go to jam sessions and you can play whatever it was. And what he was saying was, no, you learn lots of different tunes to find out which ones you really like. Mm. Because it, it's it's not just how do you play as a musician, it's also the material you choose to play on is, is a large part of, well, what is your personality? So that was a really interesting one there. Learn lots of different tunes and different styles by different people and see which ones really speak to me. And that might tell you something. Think about, yeah, players, who do I want to sound like? Um, And if so, can you say why it is? Because hopefully for most of us, it won't just be, oh, I want to sound like one person. That is it. I want to be an exact clone. Normally, you like a few different people. And if you can say, well, what is it that I like about these people? So, for example, you know, Sonny Rollins, I'm a massive fan of his. And the two big things that stand out for me is it's often his his rhythmic stuff, unsurprisingly, Mm -hmm. but it's also his ability to take an idea, take a motif and change it and develop it uh, and that sort of thing. Whereas, you know, some of the other players that I love, it might be slightly different things. So I can use those players as an idea of what am I looking for? Um, and, And it could be just, other things that come to you, whatever it is, I always fancy being a melodic player, whatever. But um, lots of different avenues that you can look at to get into what what speaks to you. Yeah. These are all such really good questions to ask. I, I'm, I'm even starting to think to myself, like I've perhaps thought about these things before, but never nailed them down quite so specifically. And I just, I'm already just thinking off the top of my head, like, so if I chose, you know, rhythm and, and I can't remember all the, what you said, the melody yeah. and, and the, those being your uh, two out of the three that you'd mentioned, yeah. and you're only focusing on things that are revolving around those and you're casting away all this other stuff that, I mean, I, I feel like you're going to reach your goals a lot faster. I guess that's the point. I guess that's the point. Yeah, of that, that is the aim. I'll, I'll say a couple of other things around that. Um, and then touch on kind of, you know, the awareness and reflection as well. So the first is, realistically, unless you're unbelievably driven, you're not going to put everything else to one side completely. Right. Uh, because there's always going to be temptation to do other things. And I'm a big believer, you've got to stay motivated to, to stay with doing the music. So I will definitely allow myself to do something that isn't on my list at times, just because I feel like doing it. But it's very much, you know, I, I'm aware that I'm doing it because I want to have fun with it rather than to be progressing as absolutely quickly as I can. The other thing is you might be interested to notice how much some of these things bleed into the other ones. So working on my my time feel and my rhythms. Okay, I'm not working on comping, but if I've got great time and I'm playing great rhythms, anything that I comp is going to sound a whole lot better than you know fancy chord voicings and yeah. some of the other stuff there. And again, if I'm thinking about um, playing really melodic lines, when it comes to voice leading, chords or you know backing all that sort of stuff that how i choose those things and 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 all those uh things so you might well find that some of these ideas are going to come across and influence the other areas too 
And that's so encouraging. You know, I have some uh, members uh, of of my my membership who, you know, they talk about, well, I really want to get better at music theory. So I'll direct them to a certain resource I have for, you know, getting better at music theory. But in the meantime, they discover that their technique by just going through the exercises and working on the different aspects of that has improved massively. Now, that's not what they set out to do, but there's they're they're doing that on the side but instead of thinking to yourself well, i need to work on my technique and then i need to work on my theory and then i need to work on my harmony and then i need right all that can be pretty overwhelming um but distilling it down is uh well it's brilliant i i i love this yeah. so this is this is amazing mark what after we establish those goals and specifically what we're trying to get after what are some of the things that follow that can help support us to better achieve those so some some of the the things to work on will, will come out of the goals and actually something you said there just reminded me it it doesn't have to be a, a very conceptual thing like i want to play melodically it could be i want to play really well over this particular tune right um and that would get into exactly what you're saying there about okay well what do i need to do that if we take this thing is do i need to really understand how the harmony moves do i need to learn chord voicings scales for for soloing what bits am I am I missing there? And like you say, technique may not come into that, but if you suddenly discover, here's what I'm hearing over part of the tune, and it's technically quite advanced, then that's going to lead you to work on some technique to be able to do that. And that's a really great organic way of, of doing this because you're no longer, like you say, just saying, oh, I want to get better at technique for the sake of it. There's a very clear purpose in, in mind for that. So, that. so that might be one thing. Um, it, it could be looking at you know, very specific results. I thought it might be helpful to say a few things about some of the other areas that can be really important in this. So this is, this is getting a bit wider, but these are some of the things that I find people often overlook. And you know, we can go through a few of them, but the first one might be, who are the people you've got around you mm. helping you with this? And I find, I find it's really interesting to kind of go quite broad with that because you, you've talked about your community and that's a fantastic um, way to have people helping. And that'd be the first thing I might look at if we're looking into breaking it into different groups, which is who are the people about at your level? So they can be fantastic for giving you opportunities. Are they going to hook you up with people to play with, you know, pl places that will allow you to play gigs or whatever you're doing or tell you about jam sessions? Are they going to give you encouragement either directly or by your watching what they're doing and thinking, okay, now I believe I can do that. Are they going to challenge you? Maybe, you know, you see them getting ahead and you think, wow, I don't want to be left behind. I'm going to work to keep up. Yeah. You've also got who are the people ahead of you, the people who can be your teachers or your mentors, um, you know, giving you inspiration, instruction. What about people in your life who are nothing to do with music at all, but might provide encouragement or might provide accountability you know, are you, are you actually doing the work that you said you would? There's, there's all sorts of things when we look at it, how people can help us or even get in our way sometimes. And you have a lot more control over that than you might think. It's really easy to say, well, I'm just stuck with the people. But for example, you know, with your community, someone could say, actually, you know what, I'm going to sign up. I'm going to join a community. You could say, I'm going to do a bit of research. Who are teachers near me or teachers on the internet who I you know, admire I'd like to work with what happens if I just email them and say are you taking students and you might get a no but you never know you might get a yes and just imagine how different you know your life would be if you're sat there in one timeline and you don't do anything 
And then another one, you actually get a chance to study with this amazing player who's going to you know, move you along. So, so we've got things like the people around you. Yeah, and just to piggyback well, off oh, yeah, that, if you don't mind me just quickly interrupting, I, I find that, you know, I look back on my musical growth and community and mentorship, the things you were just talking about were massive parts of it. Um, I, I had a friend in college, um, and he was another guitar player, and, uh, you know, we became quick friends, and we hung out together all the time. Uh, and he was just, a, a, I would say, a little bit more advanced than I was at the, at the time. He had a, little, a few more things together, but, you know, it wasn't that far off. So it wasn't like, you know, I was playing in a, you know, in the wrong stadium with somebody. Yeah. And we, we would jam all the time. We would get duo gigs together. Uh, it was great. And it was a great opportunity. I understand not a, lot, not a lot of people don't have that opportunity. However, you know, having that relationship, it improved. You mentioned a few things like, uh, you know, we were learning the same tunes together. Um, we were encouraging each other, right? we were, I was being challenged by him since he was a little bit better. I wanted to try to do some of the things that he was doing. And, you know, I know that I was doing the same for him. I was playing a certain set of repertoire that he wasn't playing. And even just that relationship was so powerful. Uh, Being with some of the right teachers can really help, right? When you're sometimes out there, when you're, maybe you're listening to this podcast and you've listened to 50, 20, 100, 200 episodes of this show, or you're on YouTube and there's a lot of great information out there, but you need to narrow it down to really help you focus and get help where you need help in a pathway, in a direction. That stuff is just invaluable. So whether it's in person or it's community, it, it can be just powerful, even just to have people encouraging you along because I don't know how you feel about this, Mark. Music can be a really frustrating experience if you let it yeah. be. Yeah, absolutely. And and that encouragement and challenge can be so big. And I guess that leads into one of the other things I mentioned going through some of the things that, that can help you. And that is the mindsets that you bring to this. Hmm. Um, it's, you know, it's so easy to sit there and think, well, either I'm motivated or I'm not. Either I'm the sort of person who makes progress or I'm not. But you have a surprising amount of control over this when you set things up in the right way. So, so some of it is just kind of reading around and, and learning about, about these mindsets. Um, and I don't know how much your listeners will be familiar with all of these, but just the idea of a, a fixed mindset and a growth mindset, such a huge thing when you kind of accept, actually, I can learn and improve rather than talent is fixed and, and I'm, I'm stuck there. Um, setting up motivation, uh, okay, a really deep topic and I'm not gonna go hugely into it here, but a really easy way to do this is is to set yourself small goals so on the way to these these big goals that you've hopefully planned out rather than just saying i'm going to achieve this thing way over in the distance and i'll work for 20 years and then one day i'll get there the more you can break it down into tiny little steps and you know when you've completed each one then you know once a week or whatever you're getting that little satisfaction from having achieved yeah. just a small thing but it makes a huge difference and this isn't just kind of me sort of saying, well, it feels like that, you know, all the scientific research, all the neurochemicals are, are, are there and kind of measured to actually do this. So, uh, so there's, there's huge amounts of stuff you can do around um, motivation and mindset. Yeah. And that's so important, right? Because uh, sometimes, you know, you, maybe you're learning a new tune and it's it seems like mm-hmm. a mountain to climb to maybe learn those chords mm-hmm. by ear or something like that. Or, you know, maybe you're trying to learn I don't know. I'm just making up goals. 10, 10 tunes yeah. by the end of the year yeah. or something like that. Um, and when we break that down into those smaller steps, 
it's it's not just so it's feasible. It's also because it it makes you feel good once you've com- completed that first step, which propels you to want to go to the second yeah. step. And there's there's another benefit to it as well, which is that things become measurable. Yeah. Which means you can tell. So when you get there, you've got a measurable goal and you hit it. That gives you that feeling of satisfaction. It keeps you motivated. But equally, if what you're doing is not working, you know much sooner when there are, you know, this big goal is broken down into 10 steps and you can tell when you hit each of them and you're just not getting to the first one because there's a measurable point when either you're there or not. That's telling you something you're doing is not working. So in that case, you can look at it and either get some advice or look at it yourself and say, well, how could I change things so I can make that progress? Because otherwise, you're just sitting there banging your head against the wall. Um, You have no idea this is going on. You're putting in the work. You think, oh, I'm doing stuff. But without any way of measuring, well, am I getting closer or not? You have no idea whether whether what you're doing is working or whether it's just completely wasted effort. What At what point, this like kind of made me think of a question of what point do you pivot and let's say you're working on something specific, but you keep hitting a brick wall and you're not able to achieve something. Perhaps the get your your hypothesis is you're some other skills that you don't have together that yet that you can't do this yet. At what point do you go, hey, I should abandon this and try a different approach or go a different direction? Um, or or should you stick with it? I guess that's, that's something that's coming to mind. Yeah, that's that's the tricky one. I think it, it's going to be different in different situations. And yeah, I'm, I'm struggling to come up with a with a definitive answer to that because there are definitely, so there's a couple of things here. I mean, there are definitely some things where you expect to see kind of steady progress towards a goal. And there are others where it can be much more, it looks like nothing's happening and then suddenly you you make a breakthrough. I mean, and I'm thinking, I'm a big fan of really slow practice. You know, it's another one we, we could talk about, won't go too deep into, but how you practice has a huge effect on this. It's not just what you practice, but are you doing it in an effective way? So yeah. I'm a big fan of slow practice. And what I'll typically do is you know, spend a lot of time practicing really slowly. And I, I don't generally kind of keep pushing the metronome up and pushing the metronome up. I kind of like to do it really slow where I'm, where I'm there. And so in a way that that's not going to tell you whether you're getting there. So one thing that I do for that particular situation is I'll spend the majority of my time practicing really slowly because that's how I make the most learning. But then every so often I'll stick the metronome right up to full speed and just see how is it, how is it looking there? Um, And it's kind of checking in between the two. So what are the failure points when I play at full speed before I start out? Is it a particular point? Is just the whole thing you know, useless? What is it? Bring, it, bring it down really slowly, work on it a bit, bring it back up to speed. Has, has that failure point you know, got any better? Is it now a new failure point? Whatever those sorts of things are. So that's not going to work in all situations. And it's a bit of a judgment on that, but it, it can be, can, can you find a way to test things? The, the other thing is, um, slightly different way of looking at it, but it can be really helpful in the right circumstance, is you design something that you basically can't fail at. This also helps with motivation. So you're you're setting something that you know requires all your effort to do it, but you're making each step easy enough that it is definitely achievable. And okay, maybe you have to think harder than you'd like. Maybe it doesn't come easily, but you can you can get there. And often that will mean breaking things up into completely different pieces. So if I'm working on just a really difficult technical phrase, um, so slowing it down is one thing. Uh, 
on some instruments, in particular the guitar, you know, I might split up the hands. Let's just work on the left hand and the right hand separately. It might be um, splitting up different different aspects of it, uh, making it into shorter chunks. Can I do just this one half of it rather than the whole thing or even smaller bits? Can I do just the rhythms and not worry about the right pitches? Or maybe I'll work on the right pitches and not worry about getting the rhythms perfect, all sorts of things like this, so that you've always got something that's challenging that you can do. It's not, it's not always going to work, but it's kind of setting those things. It, again, it, it does come a point as to, is this getting me the result that I want? Um, you might have to experiment with that a bit. I think going back to what we said earlier, this is a great point to have someone with experience, a mentor yeah. or a teacher I'll kind of, you. yeah, say, is this what I'd expect or not? And what else might I suggest? Because one thing to be aware of is progress usually goes in plateaus. It's not, yeah. it's not that you kind of move up steadily. Often what's happening is you feel like you're not getting anywhere for a while and then there's a sudden spurt of growth. And interestingly enough, what's usually happening is actually the growth is really happening in the bit where it feels like you're going nowhere. Right. Your brain is kind of learning all the little bits, but it can't put them together. And then they're all there. And then when you get that sudden spurt, what's happened is it's just, okay, right, now we're all bringing it together, connecting those neurons and, and, and you're there. But that, that kind of plateau where you don't feel you're going anywhere is actually totally required. And another reason that is why this motivation is so important is that the learning zone is typically when something is a challenge. It's a bit of a struggle. It's not so hard that you just can't do it at all, but it's not comfortable. You, you want to be in that slightly uncomfortable zone. That's where you learn the fastest. And that's why working on your motivation is so important because you're not going to be sitting there thinking, oh, it's all easy. I'm improving amazingly fast all the time. Yeah. Well, what I think is just absolutely uh, amazing and brilliant about this kind of the way that you approach these things is that you definitely are approach these from your your anal, anal, analytical mind, the analyst in you, where you're looking at, okay, there's a problem here, there's a roadblock. So what is it? Is it the, the way I'm practicing? Is it, do I need to do this slower? Do I need to take it from this approach? But at the same time with the psychology of like, you know, if you're hitting that brick wall a little, like too many times, you're going to lose motivation. So you always yeah. have to be thinking, okay, we need to change up the strategy because that's not working 100%. Because we need to have a win to get that dopamine hit. It's kind of kind yeah. of what I what I'm trying to read between the lines. Is that no, exactly? That? And I think that goes, but you tie that back really nicely to kind of where I'm coming from this with this. Because the, the really interesting thing for me working in government as an analyst was I came into it as a pure scientist, and I thought, well, it's all about let's just do the analysis and see what works and what's perfect. And then you realize there's a lot of people in there. Um, will you know if i come up with the perfect thing to do and i present the numbers to a senior politician are they going to understand it because it could be the best thing in the world but if they don't understand what to do with it they won't do anything do they believe they can make it work politically maybe they understand it but they're scared about doing it do the public if it's something that the public are going to have to do are they going to understand it are they going to be willing to do it and a lot of the time you look at what's technically the best thing to do and you go okay this is great in theory but in practice, people just aren't going to follow it. So the more I've kind of worked in that, and it totally applies in, in learning music as well, you've got to balance these things. What actually, not what, what would happen theoretically, what would you like to happen, but what actually comes into this? And this is, this is a whole big part of what's most important. 
because there are all sorts of ways the system can fall down. That's that's a lot of what I what I did in government is systems thinking is looking at the whole picture and not just the individual bits, but how things interact. And so you've got to look at, well, how does the technique work? What, what are your goals? But you've also got to look at what are you as a human being capable of doing? What are you willing to do? And you've got to look at every link in the chain. So this is another one that I, I know we'll, we'll spend a bit of time talking about, which is a huge part of it is a lot of what we've been talking about so far is what goes on in practice. And there's another question of, well, what goes on when it comes to time to perform? Because it's all tempting to think, well, I do the practice. (laughs) Yeah, because I've I've done all the work. I'm capable of this. And performance is just me getting out there and showing it. But maybe there's some people out there who haven't experienced this, but I I know you have, Brent, and I've had that a lot. You get up on stage and it doesn't come out the way you thought it would. All sorts of different things happen. All sorts of problems come up. And looking at the whole picture, you've got to be honest with yourself. What is your goal? So for most people, there will be some sort of performance at the end of that, whether that's playing live in front of loads of people, whether it's just recording something to share with people, or even you know if it's just playing to family or friends or just to yourself, there will come a time when you want to kind of give a full performance of some sort. And there is a lot more to that than just having done the practice in small sections in the practice room. So another really huge thing for what's going to make a difference, a real difference in your playing is have you done the work? Are you doing the work to to make sure that final link in the chain is solid? Because otherwise you're putting all that effort in in the practice room and you're not getting anything like the full returns when you come to perform. And a way I like to think of this is it's the difference between extending your potential and realizing your potential. Mm. So all that work we're doing in the practice room, that is increasing what we are capable of doing, but it in no way guarantees that we will actually achieve that full potential when we get out there and perform. And the two things that you can work on are, yeah, that first one, expanding the potential, or the second one, which not a lot of people spend time working on, but is often more important or you know very effective is closing the gap between what you actually achieve when you perform and what you're capable of and if you look at a lot of the you know the great musicians it's not always in fact i would say even not often that they're you know what they're just capable of on a pure potential thing is way ahead of everyone else but so many of them are so good at getting much closer to that when when it actually counts and the gap is there for everyone. No one, no one ever achieves absolutely the full potential, but there's a huge range in which you can be in. And yeah, working, working to make that gap smaller is often such a, such a hugely effective way of getting more out of yourself as a musician. It's almost like, I don't know if this resonates with you, it's almost like you have to practice performing in order to be good at it and performing not i mean just playing like what you would in the practice room perhaps even mm-hmm. or, or at least a song right that you would or improvising it's almost like you have to practice that in order to even get better at that side of things because it's a totally different psychological game uh, i'm thinking about like the the recording studio is an, an, an even different one too where you become so hyper yeah. aware of everything that you're doing that you yeah. even if you thought you were hyper aware in the practice room or up on stage, you're now even more hyper aware of everything that's going on. 
and it's it's just a crazy thing. And I thought about that once. You know, the first time I ever went into a recording studio to record something, I was like, I have to record a lot in order to possibly get better at doing this because my head is in a completely frantic mode of trying not to screw up. Is there any yeah. like basic strategies that you that you would recommend for tackling things like that? Yeah, well, there's luckily as it turns out, there's there's a lot that you can do here, um, and I could go on about this for, <laughs> for hours and days. Um, you know, and comes from a lot of different areas, but we're really lucky that you know the sports sports world and sports psychologists in particular have have done a lot of these. Um, the thing that you were mentioning there is just getting a lot of practice in in those pressure situations is a big one. The one thing that I'm sure we'll come back to is you've got to be doing this deliberately and, and have some awareness of it because just getting out there and finding yourself in a pressure situation is not going to do anything for you until you just actually reflect on, well, what happened just there? What was I feeling? You know, what impact did it have on me? What changes might I make? You, you don't have to do a huge amount of that, but just being aware of what's going on. So, but that's a reasonably inefficient way of doing it. There are lots of things you can do to just up the pressure on yourself in practice situations or in situations in between. So that's that's a good way to get started. And a really useful way of looking at this is it can feel like, oh, this is a really big moment. I'm under pressure. My body feels weird. My mind feels weird. I'm just not capable of playing anything like as well like this. And when you look at the kind of the actual physiological responses, most of that is, is not actually true. There will be one or two things that are, are kind of not so helpful for playing music, but a lot of it is just that you are not used to playing music in that state. Right. I mean, one way that I'd describe it is imagine you're, you've been asked to kind of race a car around a track and you're practicing in just a little normal car that you drive around town. And then for the actual race, you get put in this massive souped up formula one top of the line car and told drive it round. you've never driven this thing before do you think you're going to do a good job right. almost certainly not because no. you're not used to the power you're not used to the controls it's a totally different experience but that's nothing to do with the fact that the car isn't up to it in fact the car is much better but you're just unfamiliar right so so anything to get yourself a little bit more familiar with this is is going to help and you know, there's there's lots of little things that you can you can work on um, as well. I mean, that's, that's getting a little bit more into yeah. no, I mean, <laughs> some of the I'm, detailed I'm, bits. Yeah. I'm sure that you could share so so much more, and mm -hmm. already everything that you have shared is just a gold mine of stuff. And I would encourage uh, you know everybody to you know, try to pick a few things that Mark said today that really resonate with you. I know, you know, a big one for me that came out of this was I need to get a little bit more clear about what exactly I want to sound like and then start eliminating all the things that I'm working on that don't really help me get to that goal. I think that's so powerful. And there's a million other amazing things you said. Yeah. And we're in luck because, you are going, to, are going to be one of our speakers at Learn Jazz Live 2021, our virtual summit, February 27th through 28th. Um, and I know that you're going to share an awesome workshop with us. Uh, mind telling us a little bit about uh, what we can expect from that? Yeah, so that's pretty much getting into what we were talking about just there. 
Um, if I remember correctly, the, the, the title that I've got down for that is play your best every time. And it is exactly kind of the more specific strategies on what can you do so that when you're, you're up there performing, you've got all these useful little strategies and techniques that you can put into place in the moment to achieve that, that better performance. Uh, and something I didn't say, say earlier, but I think it's quite a useful way to look at it. There's, there's two aspects to this, really. One is, well, how close do you get um, to, you know, to achieving your potential when you're up there? Can you close that gap between what you'd normally do in performance and you know, just raise that higher? But the other one in the title, play your best every time. For a lot of people, it's not just about when you're at a lower level. It's about consistency. You'll, you'll get up there and one night you'll have actually a pretty decent gig and the next gig for no reason whatsoever that you can tell will be utterly terrible. So there's a lot of things that you can do to to give yourself a much more consistent experience. Yeah. Um, and it, actually, if we've got a second, I was, sure. was going to give an example of something slightly different, but a bit related, which I think kind of illustrates some of these things for kind of performance. And I don't know if you've ever been in this situation um, but I certainly have, where you get up there, you're improvising a solo and you're just overplaying. You, know, oh, you should leave some space <laughs> and you just go on and go on and go on. And I think this is a really nice analogy for a lot of what's going on with the performance psychology, because imagine if you could just leave a bit more space in the solo, it would be so much better. You know, there'd be space for people to kind of digest the ideas. It would sound so much more mature and composed. And yet how hard a thing is that for you to do? literally the easiest thing on your instrument is not to play anything so the potential to have that better solo with all the space in it is totally there it's just that you're not achieving that potential so that's that's that idea again you've got the ability to do this but you're not so how do you get better at it well the first thing is awareness which I was talking about a little bit earlier exactly the same for the psychological stuff as soon as you're aware okay one of the things that's letting me down is I play too much. I should leave more space. You've got a chance of dealing with it. So un until you're aware, you're not going to do anything about it. Same with all these things. Okay, I've, I've listened back to recordings of a number of my solos, or I was just remembering afterwards, and I've written down what happened there. So just one quick tip is just taking a minute or two after, after a practice, after a, a gig, after a performance, whatever it is, to just kind of write down some thoughts, what went well, what went badly. Just build up this awareness of what, is habitually good and what is habitually holding me back so next time i i play i can deliberately choose to try and leave a bit more space and ways you can help yourself do that is not just rely on oh i'll remember it in the heat of the moment because when we get up in performance we forget things so just a really little quick tip is maybe you just want to write down a little note to yourself um for me i'll put it on a scrap of paper, slip it in between the guitar strings. Mm. Therefore, I can't miss it because I've got to take it out before I you know, play. But I'm sure you can find something similar for different instruments, different setups. And then what you will probably find is that helps a little bit, but it doesn't completely cure the problem. And one of the reasons for this is you, you think it should be so easy. You know, all I have to do is stop playing. I know how to do that. <laughs> but when you think about how we tend to practice, most of what we practice is a lot of notes because, you know, you want to use your practice time. And unfortunately, the way that we're used to practicing is what tends to come out in performance. So when your practice is mostly filled up with you playing lots of notes and is not filled up with you leaving large amounts of space, even though you intend to leave more space, you know, your kind of habit kicks in and you just play that. So if you want to break this, 
you kind of need to have to actually practice. Let's deliberately spend time practicing where I leave more space. And that, you know, it feels a bit weird because, you know, you want to be practicing the difficult part or what seems like the difficult part, playing the notes. But until you, until you make the effort to do this, you're not going to change. And it's exactly the same with some of these, you know, psychology-based kind of performance, peak performance tips. They're not necessarily difficult things to do it kind of feels like i should be able to do it one of the reasons why we don't practice leaving space is because you think well i can do that but what you've got to do is this awareness thing is look what actually happens in performance does this happen as you would like it to in performance if not then you need to spend some time working on it and it's the same with with all the kind of the peak performance stuff do i play to the level that i'm capable of in performance am i am i kind of dealing with nerves Am I keeping my focus where it needs to be? If not, then much though you feel, well, it's something I should be able to do, first of all, accept, okay, I'm not doing it. And actually, a lot of these things, they're actually a lot harder than we believe they are. So we tend to beat ourselves up about them because we because we can't do them. But, you know, accept, accept that you can't, and that's fine. And then say, well, I'll put a little bit of practice in on this. And the thing I'd say in particular about these things is we've talked about quite a few things today. And I suspect quite a lot of them are things that you might not be doing already. And that can feel like, oh, you know, this is, this is bad stuff I'm not doing. But actually, it's a huge amount of potential there. Because as you'll know, the more you practice something, the more and more, you know, the better you get at something, the more effort it takes to make a little bit more progress. You know, the better you get at technique playing fast lines, the more effort it takes to just move that metronome up a little bit further. So when we've got things here that you haven't done much on, you can put a small amount of effort into working on them and get really big wins out of it. So these things, and I'd say in particular, the, you know, the, the peak performance tips for performance psychology, you can typically, most musicians, because they don't work on it, you can see really big progress from just relatively little time and effort put in simply because it's, you know, it's, it's the low hanging fruit there. Yeah. All such golden, amazing stuff there. And I, I'm really excited for your workshop at Learn Jazz Live and so much more in-depth stuff that you're going to share with us there. Um, so if, you, if you'd like to, uh, to join, join Learn Jazz Live, go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash mark, learnjazzstandards.com forward slash mark. And uh, that also goes to help Mark. So if you really enjoyed everything that Mark had to say today and want to support him, uh, feel free to go there. And of course, go to playinthezone.com to check out all the amazing stuff uh, that Mark is doing there. Uh, Mark, again, I just want to say thank you so much. I know we're going to have you back on the show because this was just uh, amazing information and we just appreciate you sharing everything. Thanks, Brent. Really enjoyed it. It's great to have the chance to chat. All right, that's all for today's show. I want to thank Mark Morley Fletcher again for all that great information. Again, check out playinthezone.com or sign up for Learn Jazz Live 2021 at learnjazzstandards.com forward slash Mark. All right, and so as always, we're going to be coming out with another great episode next week. And we're going to be getting more into guests, guest interviews, you know, because it's been a while since I really engaged in doing that. I've been doing a lot of solo shows lately. And I'm kind of like itching to get back into some stuff outside of, of me teaching, if you don't mind. I know that you're going to get so much out of our upcoming guests that we have planned. It's going to be a lot of fun. So make sure you subscribe. Please leave a rating or review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Always helps. And I do read every single one of them. 
and look forward to seeing you next time. Cheers. Happy practicing. Thanks for listening to the LJS Podcast, brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes, and don't forget to join our jazz community at LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash newsletter. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. Learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.